0: Last week we were talking about involuntary care and it's something that the UCP has talked about and has considered the the premier was asked about it this week and said listen that is a last resort it's the Com- compassionate intervention act and what it is is if we've got um drug users uh who through some determination has been let it, we've come to the conclusion that their life is at risk um police Family members or legal guardians could force them into involuntary treatment if they pose a risk to themselves or others, whether they want to go or not. And, you know, and we've had people on the air talking about there's, there's human rights that get involved here. There's some major concerns around that. There's also the fact that it doesn't work very well. Um, but the premier saying, you know what? We got to do something. And a lot of people say we've got to do something. And we all say we've got to do something. The question though, is this the right something? Um, and I think there's arguments to be made ultimately comes down to Is it fair and will it work? I think that's the big issue. But we're going to speak now with Anna Mailer-Piperni, Paperny, is the author of an op-ed on this topic in the Globe and Mail yesterday and also author of the book, Hello, I Want to Die, Please Fix Me. She has lived experience around this involuntary or coercive treatment. So uh, I'm interested in getting her take on this. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So if we go back to your, like, you know, on the surface, it's kind of like, listen, these people, they're, they're, their lives are at risk, and, and we know that they're doing things that could ultimately cost them their lives. We must do something. So you can see that argument for why this would be a good
1: idea, right? Absolutely. And I think I can understand sort of that lawmakers feel pressured yeah. to act. The question is, as you've said, is this the right action? Is this, going to, is this justified, and will it have the desired effect?
0: Yeah, because it's not that simple because we've got some experience around this. When we take a look at this, I mean, already in Canada, we do this kind of thing. Maybe not necessarily around drug addiction and that kind of situation, but certainly with mental health, we can involuntarily hold people for treatment for mental health conditions.
1: That's true. And in a lot of, in some provinces, we're seeing this increasingly happen. Um, in British Columbia, for example, and in Ontario, we're seeing more and more people be hospitalized against their will, and even treated against their will.
0: And the question is, based on this, and we, we, you know, like we say, it's happening, it's been happening more and more often. Does it work? I guess that's the question, right, Anna, is, is does it work? And we have, we have some data that we can look at. So I guess the question is, do you think it does work?
1: That's a really good question. I think it depends on whom you ask, and it depends on how you define work. Um, we know that this can keep people safe from themselves for a period of time and it can connect them with treatment, but very often those are sort of short-term measures. They might be kept for a week, for a couple of weeks, even for a month. They might be given treatment during that time, but often we find after that they're discharged and there's no follow-up care, there's no ongoing treatment. These are chronic conditions, but so often we find the care that's provided, if there is any care provided, is on an acute basis, on a short-term basis. In the meantime, Involuntary hospitalization, and especially involuntary treatment, can have harms. It can be traumatizing for people to be subjected to hospitalization and treatment against their will. It can really sort of sour them on the health system. They they may not trust it in future, which is a problem because, again, these aren't conditions that are going to go away in a couple of weeks. These are going to be issues that sometimes last people years, Mm -hmm. their entire lives even. And so we need to consider sort of what the long-term impacts are. When it comes to uh, drug addiction and substance use disorder, we also know that involuntary treatment of substance use disorders can set someone up for relapse afterwards, can set them up for drug poisoning. Yes. Because that tolerance drops. can lower the, the tolerance. Exactly.
0: You've got some lived experience with this, right? You've actually been down this path and not necessarily for drug treatment, but for, you know, involuntary treatment. I mean, uh, are are you comfortable telling us your experience and and what you think it it did for you or or
1: didn't do for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I was suicidal. I tried to kill myself um, a a few times. And after trying, you know, I was treated in hospital and then I was sent to the psych ward and I was hospitalized against my will. And it's an awful feeling. I mean, nobody wants to be in hospital, or at least most people, don't, it's not the first place that they want to be. But when you're there against your will, when you're told that you aren't capable of making that decision for yourself, it can be a really horrible feeling. You feel sort of alienated from yourself and from the care system. You feel, you know, mistrustful of even yourself, but also the, the people providing your care. Um It can be sort of a really... It's possible for it to be a dehumanizing experience. It doesn't have to be. I think it's possible for someone to be held against their will, but for their other rights to be respected, for them to be treated with respect as a human being. That doesn't always happen, though. Right. And so so as a result, people often lose faith in the health system, which can be really dangerous.
0: How do we do that? I mean, how do you go about making sure? I mean, because I I don't think anybody's doing this out of cruelty. I mean, they are Mm -hmm. legitimately trying to do this to help. So how do you make sure that the dignity is there, the rights are respected, all those sorts of things? And then we can deal with the fact whether or not it's going to work and it's a good idea on that way. But if we are going to go down this path, how can we do it responsibly?
1: That's a great question. It can be really difficult to do because there's sort of an assumption often that people who are subject to this kind of treatment don't know what's best for them and aren't capable of making their own decisions. And I think if you approach it as saying, well, even though you're dealing with this condition, even though there are certain things we don't think it's safe to trust you to decide, you still know yourself best and you still have rights. You're still a human being. I can still talk to you as one human being to another. I can still listen to you and try my best to respect your wishes to the degree that it's safe to do so. And treating somebody with respect goes a long way. It seems like a minor thing, but it can make an enormous difference.
0: Um and like you say and you touched on it and I just wanted to come back to it before we go. Um the importance of this is temporary. This is not the cure. This is not the answer. So if we're not going to work on follow up and wrap around and all these sorts of things, it is doomed to failure. No I mean like a lot of people say it's doomed to failure to begin with, but if we don't have the follow up and we don't have ways of making sure that we continue with the care, there's no chance this will succeed. Absolutely.
1: I think we you, we need as you say, we need wrap around care we need ongoing care, we need supports that meet people where they're at, and we need supports that follow people so that they're not sort of treated and then discharged into an abyss.
0: Exactly, yeah, and that's, that's probably the biggest risk. Um, Anna, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. I really do appreciate it.